0: Tuned in, T-
1: tuned,
2: in, tuned in to graham hill's weekend variety wireless on radio live it's been fun over the last few weeks talking about lyrics great sets of them while you were away grant um i petitioned some luminaries about their favorite <laughs> lyrics and yeah. their favorite lyrics that they wrote as well god that was good fun yeah i reckon i reckon i can imagine <laughs> yeah we we got the McGlashinator. Yeah. SJD, Tim Finn, Chris Matthews, Martin Phillips.
0: Oh, good stuff. There would have been some interesting range of things they admired in there, no doubt. All
2: right. We have plenty more lyrical themes to go through. And while it's fun, we're going to to carry on. This week, spoken word. Some people have made a career of it. John Cooper Clark, Linton Quasi Johnson. Other bands have had a bit of a lash at it as well with varying levels of success, but I love it as a genre.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's before you even start delving into hip-hop.
2: That's a complete different planet. One salute, though, I think we should make for the spoken word, which was, I think, the definitive on-ramp for popular modern rap, The Message.
0: Yeah, yeah, great. Great thing. I remember thinking that sounded like it'd come from Out of Space the first time I heard it I was living just outside Dunfermline in Scotland and I went in and it was in the jukebox and someone put it on and I was just like, what is this? This, This is mad and I played it multiple times until the guy got so pissed off he unplugged it It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep from going under It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep from going under Broken Glass everywhere. People pissing on the stage and you know, they just
2: don't care. I
0: can't Grandmaster say, Flash and the Furious Five. Yeah.
2: And a report from Scotland as well. Uh, just last week professor at Glasgow University, University said he, he saw someone in Edinburgh with a shirt on that said, don't push me, I'm close to the edge. Don't
3: push me, cause I'm close to the edge.
0: Good thanks. So it lives on. I have been known to say I've been standing next to a hedge. <laughs> <laughs> just, to be, just to be a half it <laughs> and uh because it amuses me at least
2: okay let's go to the 60s first i think we should and gil scott heron he's done quite a bit of spoken word stuff and it came about during that time of the beat poets with someone uh, playing some jazzy stuff in the background but this yeah. is a beautiful thing
0: yeah it's a ripper isn't it he you know of course died just a couple of years ago had mm-hmm. an up and down life involving alcoholism and being a junkie and being homeless and all kinds of things down the years. Had a bit of a surge of new people finding out about him after he put out a record on XL a few years ago. But his early things are marvellous, I think. Initially, very like the last poets who were around at the same time, actually there's endless things of theirs we could play Mm. as well. It was often just percussion and his voice... And then more and more he started to play keyboards and other things. But I think one of his earliest things is still one of the ones that kicks my ass the hardest, and that's Whitey's on the Moon, where he talks about um, American state spending so much on sending white people into space yeah. while the black ghetto areas are desperate for decent health care and welfare money and so
2: on. His most famous spoken word one, though, would be um, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Televised yeah. yeah. Check out The Revolution Will Not Be Televised in your own time if you haven't heard it. It's a cracker, but here we go. Whitey's on the Moon. Gil Scott, Heron.
3: A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the Moon. Her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the Moon. I can't pay no doctor bills but Whitey's on the Moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know, the man just upped my rent last night, cause Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. I wonder why he's upping me, cause Whitey's on the moon. Well, I was already giving him 50 a week, and now Whitey's on the moon. Taxes taking my whole damn check, the junkies make me a nervous wreck. The price of food is going up, and as if all that crap wasn't enough, a rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. Was all that money I made last year for Whitey on the moon? How come I ain't got no money here? Hmm. Whitey's on the moon. You know, I just about had my bill of Whitey on the moon. I think I'll send these doctor bills, air mail special. on the moon another famous
2: piece from the 1960s of spoken word the velvet undergrounds and that famous story told by john cale the gift where a bloke decides to post himself to his girlfriend and and it ends very tragically someone did do this oh god really yeah they did post themselves from britain to perth that turned out all right apparently (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Here's The Gift, as read by John Cale written by John Cale, with a gruesome end told in a very dry and plain manner.
4: Waldo Jeffers had reached his limit. It was now mid-August, which meant he had been separated from Marsha for more than two months. Two months, and all he had to show were three dog-eared letters and two very expensive long-distance phone calls. True when school had ended and she'd returned to Wisconsin and key to locust Pennsylvania... She had sworn to maintain a certain fidelity. She would date occasionally, but merely as amusement. She would remain faithful. But lately, Waldo had begun to worry. He'd have trouble sleeping at nights. And when he did, he had horrible dreams. He lay awake at night tossing and turning underneath his depleted quilt protector, tears welling in his eyes as he pictured Marsha, her sworn vows overcome by liquor and the smooth soothings of some Neanderthal, finally submitting to the final caresses of sexual oblivion. It was more than the human mind could bear. Visions of Marsha's faithlessness haunted him. Daytime fantasies of sexual abandon permeated his thoughts. And the thing was they wouldn't understand how she really was. He, Waldo, alone understood this. He had intuitively grasped every nook and cranny of her psyche. He'd made her smile. She needed him, he wasn't there. Aww. The idea came to him on the Thursday before the Mama's Parade was scheduled to appear. He just finished mowing and edging the Uggleson's lawn for $1.50, and I checked the mailbox to see if there was at least a word in Marshall. There was nothing but a circular from the Amalgamated aluminum Company of America inquiring into his own needs. At least they cared enough to write. It was a New York company. You could go anywhere in the mails. Then it struck him. He didn't have enough money to go to Wisconsin in the accepted fashion, true. But why not mail himself? It was absurdly simple. He would ship himself parcel post special delivery. The next day, Waldo went to the supermarket to purchase the necessary equipment. He bought masking tape, a staple gun, and a medium-sized cardboard box just right for a person of his build. He judged that with a minimum of jostling, he could ride quite comfortably. A few air holes, some water, a 1st of night snacks, and it would probably be as good as going tourist. By Friday afternoon, Waldo was set. He was thoroughly packed, and the post office had agreed to pick him up at 3 o'clock. He'd marked the package fragile, and as he sat curled up inside, resting on a foam rubber cushioning, he thoughtfully included, He tried to picture the look of awe and happiness on Marsha's face as she opened her door, saw the package, tipped the deliverer, and then opened it to see her Waldo finally there in person. She would kiss him, and then maybe they could see a movie. If he'd only thought of this before. Suddenly, rough hands gripped his package, and he felt himself born up. He landed with a thud in a truck and was off. Marsha Bronson had just finished setting her hair. It had been a very rough weekend. She had to remember not to drink like that. Bill had been nice about it, though. After it was over, he said he still respected her. And after all, it was certainly the way of nature. And even though, no, he didn't love her, he did feel an affection for her. And after all, they were grown adults. Oh, and Bill could teach Waldo. But that scene many years ago. Sheila Klein, her very, very best friend, walked in through the porch screen door and into the kitchen. Oh, God, it's absolutely modern outside. Ugh, I know what you mean. I feel all icky. Marsha tightened the belt on her cotton rope with the silk outer edge. Sheila ran her finger over some salt grains on the kitchen table, licked her finger, and made a face. I'm supposed to be taking these salt pills, but she winked at her nose. They make me feel like throwing up. Marsha started to pat herself under the chin, an exercise she'd seen on television. God, don't even talk about that. She got up from the table and went to the sink where she picked up a bottle of pink and blue vitamins. Want one? supposed to be better than steak, and then attempted to touch her knees. I don't think I'll ever touch a daiquiri again. She gave up and sat down, this time near to the small table that supported the telephone. Maybe Bill will call, she said to Sheila's glances. Sheila nibbled on the cuticle. After last night, I thought maybe you'd be through with him. I know what you mean. My God, he was like an octopus, hands all over the place. She gestured, raising her arms upward in defense. The thing is, after a while, you get tired of fighting with him, you know. And after all, I didn't really do anything Friday and Saturday, so I kind of owed it to him. You know what I mean. She started to scratch. Sheila was giggling with her hand over her mouth. I tell you, I felt the same way. And even after a while, she bent forward in a whisper. I wanted to. Now she was laughing very loudly. It was at this point that Mr. Jameson of the Clarence Darrow Post Office rang the doorbell of the large sticker covered frame house. When Marsha Bronson opened the door, he helped her carry the package in. He had his yellow and his green slips of paper signed and left with a 15 cent tip that Marsha had gotten out of her mother's small beige pocketbook in the den. What do you think it is, Sheila asked. Marsha stood with her arms folded behind her back. She stared at the brown cardboard carton that sat in the middle of the room. I don't know. Inside the package, Waldo quivered with excitement as he listened to the muffled voices. Sheila ran her fingernail over the masking tape that climbed on the center of the carton. Why don't you look at the return address and see who it's from? Waldo felt his heart beating. He could feel the vibrating footsteps. It would be soon. Marsha walked around the carton and read the ink-scratched label. Oh, God, it's from Waldo. That schmuck said Sheila. Waldo trembled with expectation. Well, you might as well open it, said Sheila. And both of them tried to lift the staple flap. Ah, said Machado, He must have nailed it shut. They tugged on the flap again. My god, you needed power drill to get this thing open. They pulled again. You can't get a grip. They both stood still, breathing heavily. Why don't you get a scissor, said Sheila. Marsha ran into the kitchen, but all she could find was a little sewing scissor. Then she remembered that her father kept a collection of tools in the basement. She ran downstairs, and when she came back up, she had a large sheet metal cutter in her hand. This is the best I could find, to tell her a friend. Here, you do it. I'm gonna die. She sank into a large fluffy couch and exhaled noisily. Sheila tried to make a slit between the masking tape and the end of the cardboard flap, but the blade was too big and there wasn't enough room. God damn this thing, she said, feeling very exasperated. Then, smiling, I got an idea. What, said Just watch, said Sheila, touching her finger to her head. Inside the package, Walter was so transfixed with excitement that he barely breathed. His skin felt prickly from the heat, and he could feel his heart beating in his throat would be soon. Sheila stood quite upright and walked around to the other side of the package. Then she sank down to her knees, grasped the cutter by both handles, took a deep breath, and plunged the long blade through the middle of the package, through the masking tape, through the cardboard, through the cushioning, and right through the center of Waldo Jeffers' head, which split slightly and caused little rhythmic arcs of red to pulsate gently in the morning sun.
2: There we have it, cheery little story, but it's a real standout. We'll take a break, come back, we're looking at spoken word this week with Grant Smithies. Weekend. Variety. Wireless. The spoken word genre, and we're leaving rap as a completely different thing. You have a great affection for Ivor Cutler. Tell me about him.
0: God, I do. Well, I, um, uh, I don't know. God, I, I first heard him when I lived in Scotland years ago. Where he's greatly admired by people. But then I saw, you know, he crops up in things like, is it Magical Mystery Tour on the Beatles bus? And he was deeply loved by John Lennon and, and those guys. And he shows up playing a character in that. But I bought an album of his years and years ago called Life in a Scotch Sitting Room. Mm. And there's something about it that I think is marvelous. He was a teacher, a very eccentric guy, um, taught at Summer, the famous alternative school, Summerhill, for a while and lived there. Uh, played kind of euphoniums and various pipe organy things. I think he really brings some kind of rich humour out of wordplay around the Scottish temperament. W- one song he does is entirely about growing up in the highlands and if you were really good, granddad would open up this carved wooden box and take out sand and you're allowed to let it run through your fingers from one hand to the other while your sister gargled salty water and blew it in your face and you would pretend you're at the seaside.
2: There's a Scottish holiday.
0: You know, it's just like taking the things of the stingy, dour Scottish personality to some kind of surrealist endgame place that I find kind of hilarious. But I think we should play one that I've always loved. It's called Scotland Gets Its Brains From herring. that being the main thing you eat, but the grandad and the family believing that it greatly increased your intelligence to eat herring and putting signs under the water so that only literate herrings could read them and they'd head off up the stream and get caught and then they'd eat them and straight after that eating them he'd test their kind of Latin, irregular verbs and so on to see how much their intelligence
5: had gone up. Very peculiar, but a couple of minutes
0: of strangeness from either.
5: Scotland gets its brains from the herring, said Grandpa and we all nodded our heads with complete incomprehension. Sometimes, for a treat, we got playing with their heads. Glutinous, bony affairs without room for brains and a look of lust on their narrow soprano jaws. The time I lifted the lid of the midden on a winter night and there, a cool blue gleam, herring heads. Other heads do not gleam in the dark, so perhaps Grandpa was right. To make sure we ate the most intelligent herring, he fished the estuary, planted a notice, literate herring this way below the waterline at the corner where it met the sea. The paint for the notice was made of crushed heads. Red-eyed herring sore from reading would round the corner read the notice and sense the estuary water bland and eye-easing. A few feet brought them within the confining friendliness of his manila net and a purposeful end. There was only one way to cook it. A deep batter of porridge left from breakfast was patted round, and it was fed onto the hot griddle athwart the coal fire. In seconds, a thick aroma leaned around and bent against the walls. We lay down and dribbled on the carpet. Also, the air was fresher. Time passed. In exactly 25 minutes, the porridge cracked and juice steamed through with a glad fizz. We ate the batter first to take the edge off our appetites so that we could eat the herring with respect, which we did, including the bones. After supper, assuming the herring to have worked, we were asked questions. In Latin, Greek and Hebrew, we had to know the principal parts of verbs. In geography, the five main glove manufacturing towns in the Midlands. And in history, the development of Glasgow's sewage system. There's nothing quite like a Scotch education. One is left with an irreparable debt. My head is full of irregular verbs still. All right, Ivor Cutler, he's
2: fun and um, maybe being rediscovered a bit. Got there's acres of um, stuff on him on YouTube that you can find that's marvellous,
0: live performances. He was um, deeply loved by John Peel. So John Peel, in between you know recording the Buzzcocks and people like this, did several Ivor Cutler sessions, worth finding if you
2: can. One of my favourites, I've loved him since his first album, Linton Kwesi Johnson, British Jamaican poet and activist, just uh, such a gorgeous way with words. I absolutely adore his shall we say, musical director, Dennis Bovell. Yep. Just such elegant reggae behind these awesome words.
0: I love bass culture, the whole record. But to me, that's the finest thing he did. It's, it got it's the same record with the song about Blair Peach, the New Zealander, who was killed yeah. by
2: the yep. SPG police force over there. We'll go with the title track, bass culture, Linton Kwesi Johnson.
6: Music of blood, black, rare pain, rooted, dot, gear. Ten stopped in the bubble and the bounce and the leap and the weight drop. It is the beat of the heart, this pulsing of blood that is a bubbling bass, a bad bad beat, pushing against the wall with barbed like blood. And is a holy a passion together. Like a frightful farm, like a righteous arm, giving off wildlife is madness. Bad out there, hotter than the heights of fire, living heat down volcano core. With the cultural wave, a dread to deal. Spirits rise and reel and rise, to the wise. Nathan Power, in a farm resembling madness, like violence is the show. Bursting out a sleep shocker, look ya, bound for harm the wicked. Man feel, in hurt confirm, man side, destruction all around. Man turn, love still confirmed, In destiny shine light wise. So life take the farm, we shift from calm, and hold the way of a deadly storm. Culture pulsing in high temperature blood, swinging hunger, shattering the tightened hole. Balls, bowl, round flesh, and freedom. It's cause of blues, cause of muggage suffering, cause of blood clad pressure. Yet still breathing love, far more mellow than the sound of shakes chanting loudly. Scatter, matter, shatter, shatter, what a beat. The time is nigh When passion gather high When the beach just lash When the wild must smash, And the beat will shift As the culture alter When oppression scatter
2: Legend Crazy Johnson, Bass Culture We'll take another break and come back There's lots of really, really good stuff to come uh, Including the great John Cooper Passer
0: The Weekend
2: Variety Wireless. We're looking at spoken word this week, another episode in the series of great lyrics. We've got some other interesting themes uh, to come as well. I'm looking forward to worst lyrics of all time. You you can play your part, listeners. Just email through the Weekend Variety webpage or go to the Facebook page, give us suggestions.
0: God, worst lyrics, we could be doing that for months.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, but to find out the very worst that we can, we'll take some effort.
0: Yes, that's probably true, actually.
2: Something from Wire uh, from 1979, I think it is. The entire album is a lyrical masterpiece. It's called 154, the album. And there's this gruesome story. It's almost Kafkaesque. It's called The Other Window. A man just travelling on a train and looking out the window. It really pays to have the lyrics in front of you. I'll I'll read a little bit. He took his seat on the foreign train. He thought it pleasant to travel again. Mindful of the journey's end, he read again a letter from his friend. Time passed as it often does. Around him people spoke in French despite school days. It made no sense. Occasional stares caught his eye. He was tempted to smile but being shy, time passed by when he looked through the window for the thousandth time he saw a black horse fighting for its life in a barbed wire fence fatally tangled the more it struggled the more it was strangled time sped up he turned away there was nothing he could do the other window had a nice of he took his seat on the firing train he thought it pleasant to travel again
0: mindful of the journey's end, he read again the letter from his friend. Time has
1: often
4: the seat was hard, the carriage
0: fettered to a dress for some but still, he was better than being at home, being
4: the cold, living alone. Spoke in French, despite the school days, it made no sense. Occasional stares caught his eye. He was tempted to smile. But we shine,
5: time When he looked through the window
2: for the thousandth time, saw a black horse fighting for its life. highly recommended for its lyrical content uh, when at spoken word. God, it sounds like uh, an elaborate um,
0: metaphor for war or some such that you're turning away from, doesn't it?
2: Exactly Something yeah. horrendous stuff yeah. if you've got the option, turn away, nothing I can do.
0: We should play something that's highly unrecommended for its lyrical content or where somebody um, and there's no shortage of things of course that that fit that bill in the spoken word land, but one of them I think is um, Mr. Tambourine man.
2: Oh, by William Shatner. By William Shatner. <laughs>
0: who, t- who who turned it into a very strange thing. I mean, it's not that the lyrics are bad. It's just a very peculiar take on it, isn't it?
2: It is, and With it him. kind of reached cult status, and I think for a good reason. There's something yeah. confounding about it, and he takes it seriously. He does, yeah. yeah, yeah. Here he, he is, does. Captain Kirk, William Shatner, hey. Mr Tambourine Man. Mr Tambourine Man. Have Mr.
1: Mr Tambourine Man. no place I'm going to. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, play a song for me. In the jingle jangle morning, I'll come following you. Swirling ship My senses have been stripped My hands can't feel to grip My toes Too numb to step Wait only for my boot heels To be wandering Ready to go anywhere. I'm ready for to fade into my own parade. Cast your dancing spell my way. I promise
7: to go under it. I'm not sleepy and there is no place I'm going to
2: There he goes, William Shatner. We're looking at spoken word. There are some great New Zealand representatives, but we'll do those next week, huh? Yeah, why not? Sure. Including the builders, the front lawn. Yep. Um uh, I absolutely adore John Cooper Clark. I love his attitude. I love what he s- writes. He should have been poet laureate. He really should have, shouldn't he? He should, by God. He agrees. Uh, I which I think is a lovely thing. Got a nice little story from when he came here.
7: Yeah, but very often, I obviously, I think I'm the greatest living poet so uh, all the time. I have you, you turned it. down poet laureateship or something? Well, I've never Did been you? asked. I'm, I'm not holding my Oh, breath, you've not? That's not going to happen, is it? But speaking of which, right, let me tell you, this is a good story, a true story. Andrew Motion, right? Forever people have been saying, why come you're not poet laureate? Like, you know, that question comes up a lot, but I should have been because... Uh, I was in Paris in the days when when the tenure was occupied by uh, Andrew Motion. I was in Paris, and on the cover of Paris Match magazine was a was a, a photograph of the late uh, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. And I, I thought, well, why, uh, why, why would she be on the cover of, uh, of uh, a Republican French magazine? You know, why they couldn't give a monkeys about the Queen Mother? You know what I mean? So I looked, I thought she must she must have died. So I passed it over to the, to my wife, who's French. You know that's the reason why I was in Paris in the first place. And I said, "Sweetheart," I said, "Have a look now. I suspect the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother's died." So she she read, uh, "Yes, yes, she's she's died. She has died. You're right." And uh, so I looked. I, leave, so I thought, oh, they, "It must." So Andrew Motion must have written something about it in verse. You know, I mean that's what it. That's what the jobs that the, that the job description is the remit. Yeah you're, yeah, you're required to come up yeah. with the goods whenever something momentous happens within the royal family. Yeah, come
2: on, poet and boys, now's get, the
7: time. Get, yeah, exactly. Cometh the gig, cometh the guy. Come on, what do you got to say about that? I looked through there, nothing. Not, not a word about the Queen, the death of the Queen Mother. I'm, I wish the message was here now so I could get her to vouch for me. But within 30 seconds, I rattled off a little four-liner that completely summed up went to the heart of the late Queen Elizabeth the Queen Mother's appeal amongst, the, amongst the, the blue-collar elements of the East End of London. She didn't move to Balmoral when London was being blitzed by the Luftwaffe. So that really engraved her name in the hearts of the East End of London, you know, the people of the East End of London. Nobody would have blamed her if she'd have f***ed off. But she hung around and helped out as best she could to all this, you know. So she was the—they loved her in the East End, a genuine affection for her. But even among elements that might not approve of royalty, they had a soft spot for the Queen Mother. So, bearing that in mind, within 30 seconds, I come up with this one: She stuck it out throughout the Blitz when lesser mortals got the shivers—a confounded rhyme. A you single on tundra. Poetry is about economy. Economy, that's the story of her appeal among yeah. the East Enders. Yeah. 30 seconds, mm, Graham, that took me. 30 bastard in seconds. Well done. More fool then, that's what I say. He needs to hand you that rum he's supposed to get for because he did you nothing. Get a barrel of sherry. Yeah, that's Yeah, like hand that. over that barrel yeah. of sherry and the 75 quid per annum. It's hand sticky. it over. <laughs> You're not entitled.
2: Some exemplary spoken word with John Cooper Clark, the other side of this break. Ah, weekend. Variety. Wireless. All right, let's pick a John Cooper Clark track. Um, a lot of recommendations coming out of Glasgow again for Twat, which is wonderful. My personal favourite is I Don't Want to Be Nice. It, it just evokes such an image that I've I've had frequently. You might be sitting in a cafe somewhere and there's someone over the road And you've got a, um, not a great history together. You know, someone you don't like, but they're sort of overly friendly. Yeah. And, oh, you see them spot you and they're crossing the road. There There he comes now.
1: There he comes now.
2: to be nice but anyway (laughs) um we've just dipped into it don't you worry we haven't forgotten about the genius of king missile either who toured new zealand not long ago uh we'll give that a lash next week but i think we've only got time for john cooper clark um beasley street is probably his most powerful set of lyrics do you think
0: great yeah great tune we should give that a
2: been. Yeah. Yeah. It's a gorgeous thing, full of such grim imagery. I asked him where it was, uh, where was Beasley Street. It's a fictitious name, but of yeah. course, this, own, this sort of writing only comes from experience. And he said it was called Camp Street in Manchester. Oh, 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 oh. Right. That is the real Beasley Street, where people had a hard time living in the grim 60s and 70s.
0: Grant, thank you very much. No worries. Look forward to talking to you some more next week about a few others. Yeah, good work.
1: Far from crazy pavements, the taste of silver spoons, a clinical arrangement on a dirty afternoon where the fecal germs of Mr. Freud are rendered obsolete. The term is null and void in the case of Beasley streets In the cheap seats where murder breeds, somebody is out of breath. Sleep is a luxury, they don't need a sneak-cream view of death. Belladonna is your flower. Manslaughter your meat. Spend a year in a couple of hours on the edge of Beasley Street, where the action isn't, that's where it is. State your position. Vacancies exist in an ex-certificate exercise. Ex-service men extrees. Joseph smiles and a baby dies in a box on Beasley Street. From the boarding houses and the bed sits full of accidents and fleas. Somebody gets it where the missing persons freeze. Wearing dead men's overcoats, you can't see their feet. A rip joint shuts, opens up right down on Beasley Street. Cars collide, colours clash, disaster movie stuff. But a man with a two-man chew moustache, revenge is not enough. There's a dead canary on a swivel seat. There's a rainbow in the road. Meanwhile. Weaseless streets silences the cold Hop beneath the collar An inspector calls Where the perish instinct of squalor Impregnates the walls The rats have all got rickets They spit through broken teeth The name of the game is not cricket Caught out on Beasley Street The hipster and his hired hat Drive a borrowed car Yellow socks and a pink cravat Nothing loudy dare OAP, mother to thee the three three suites When shit stop drains And crocodile skis Are seen on Beasley streets. The kingdom of the blind A one-eyed man is king Beauty problems are redefined The doorbells do not ring A light bulb bursts like a blister the only farm of peace, Where a fellow sells his sister Down a river on Beasley streets. The boys are on the wagon The girls are on the shelf Their common problem is That they're not someone else The dirt blows out, the dust blows in You can't keep it neat It's a fully furnished dustbin Sixteen Beasley streets Vince the ageing savage Betrays no kind of life But the smell of yesterday's cabbage And the ghost of last year's wife Through a constant haze of deodorant spray Retreats, Alsatians Dog the dirty days Down the middle of Beasley Street People turn to poison Quick as Lager turns to piss Sweethearts Are physically sick Every time they kiss It's a Sociologist paradise Each day Repeats Cheesy, greasy, queasy Beastly, beastly streets Eyes dead as vicious fish Look around the maps If I could have just one wish I would be a photograph On a permanent Monday morning Get lost or fall asleep When the yellow cats are young
2: I'd just like to say a big fat thank you for listening, either live or if you've downloaded the podcast or are listening on the web subsequent to broadcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Our ratings were really, really, really good. I've never mentioned them before. Okay, um, time for one more Hall and Kramer song. Um, I love this thing. Um, King Missile, actually, is the uh, artist, King Missile. Beautiful taste of paranoia. Just take a listen. Spoken word at its best. The dishwasher. Good night.
8: He looked late 30s, maybe mid 30s, tall, maybe six feet. I saw him in the Guatemalan clothing place. He was thin and hungry. They sold jewelry there too. I noticed some bracelets with Sanskrit writing on them. I think the woman behind the counter looked like she was Indian, not American Indian, 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 she had a weird smile on her face as I walked in. I was looking at the bracelets. He said he was looking for work. He said, I applied for work as a dishwasher, as a dishwasher, as a dishwasher, as a dishwasher over at the hotel, I'll find out tomorrow. But if they don't, there's six other places looking for dishwashers. smiling at him, and I'm realizing now, hours later, she didn't know him, he says see ya, and leaves, and I'm still looking at stuff, she looks real nervous, she's not Indian, too light-skinned, maybe, I don't know, but she didn't speak English very well, so he says see ya, and I'm looking at stuff, and I'm realizing now, hours later, she didn't She didn't know him, she was just going along with him and he obviously wasn't a customer either because he said he was looking for work. He applied for work as a dishwasher, as a dishwasher, dishwasher. They don't make a lot of money. Something was going on, he was desperate. Maybe he went in there to try to sell something but no, I think he was trying to distract her so he could maybe take something. I obviously wasn't a customer, but I didn't figure it out till later after the movie, I'm walking back, and I'm playing the movie back in my head, and I'm playing the scene back in my head in the store. In the late 30s, maybe mid-30s, maybe six feet in the Guatemalan clothing place, they sold bracelets with Sanskrit writing on them. The woman behind the counter looked light-skinned. She didn't speak English very well. I should have done something. I should have realized. I should have paid attention. I should have been awake. He- She was looking for work as a dishwasher, as a dishwasher, as a dishwasher. Look at him. He looked like a dishwasher. I believed him, but now I think he was lying. I think he took something. She seemed real nervous. I should have done something. I didn't know. I wish I had done something. I didn't know. Is she all right? Do you think he, did she identify him? If she's dead now, how did you get my name? I don't know any dishwashers. No, I never was in Vietnam. She definitely wasn't Vietnamese. Is she dead? Do you think he, he looked late thirties. I think he stole something. Was thin and hungry they sold jewelry there too i noticed some bracelets with sanskrit writing on them i think the woman behind the counter looked like she was indian not american indian, indian indian she had a weird smile on her face as i walked in i was looking at the bracelets he said he was looking for work he said i applied for work as a dishwasher as a dishwasher